0: All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We'll be in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 uh, is where we'll be this morning as we continue just to walk through uh, the book of Acts. And so uh, we'll start to speed up a little bit, kind of hitting chapters at a time now. as we kind of make our trek, uh, our, I guess, dissension to uh, uh, when school ends, we're looking at finishing um, the book of Acts right before summer uh, starts and kids get out and we're in full swing of all of uh, our summer festivities. And so, um, like I said, Acts chapter 13. Last week, we looked in Acts chapter 12 uh, and we just see God move in a mighty way. Uh, we see um, Peter and uh, uh, John are in prison and as they're in prison, uh, ends up John dying, they, he's, he's murdered uh, There and so uh, the church knows and realizes that it's probably Peter's coming next, that they're going to take his life. And so, what do they do? The church does the only thing that the church knows to do and the only thing that the church should be doing at that time and it's praying. And so we saw last week as we looked there in Acts chapter 12 that the church prayed earnestly is how it was described. Uh, It lets us know that they were praying at a time when everybody else was doing nothing. Everybody else was resting and sleeping and so they're desperate, they're worried what's gonna happen uh, to this man of God for us that is uh, leading us, that is doing a move uh, for us uh, by way of God's hand and what's gonna happen and so they start to pray and what do we see? We see God come through in a miraculous way way because what the scripture tells us is that Peter's chained to two guards chained to them physically chained to them in prison while two more watches his cell so there's four guards watching Peter the whole time and then what do we see happen God moves in a mighty way and an angel shows up chains fall off Peter walks out gets to a point where there's a gate and it says that the gate just opens for him and he just walks right on through Undetected, Nobody sees it. He's free. He goes back to the house where the church is at praying, knocks on the door. The church is so in shock that the little girl that answers the door is like, uh, Peter's knocking at the door. They think she's crazy. They think it's an angel. And so finally he just, he's like, uh, hello, just keeps on knocking and they come and they get it and they rejoice in celebrating what God has done there in the midst of them praying. And so that's what we looked at last week. And man, just an amazing, amazing thing that we see God move in what appears to be a hopeless situation and so church, we just, what I said is just, we need to be a church that's praying earnestly, that's seeking God in all things. And so uh, what we see and what we have here in the book of Acts is the gospel just exploding where it began, there in Jerusalem. It is just bursting at the seams and going forth. And so the gospel is so powerful that it crosses socioeconomical lines, ethnical lines. And what we've seen so far is it's just global community just bursting at the seams, all stemming from Jerusalem. And so back on uh, week one, when we started this series, we looked at the whole purpose of what the book of Acts is about. We looked and we talked about Acts 1.8 where it says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he says, and you shall be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and he says, to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what we're experiencing. That's exactly what we're seeing as we take this trek through the book of Acts. And so what we know is that this has happened, that this has taken place, that this is exactly what God said would happen and it's happening because you know why? Because we're gathered in this room this morning worshiping the risen savior as a result of what jesus said over in acts one eight, you will be my witness when the holy spirit comes upon you jerusalem judea samaria to the ends of the earth church we are part of the ends of the earth at that time we are the unknown world that the gospel has has come to and so we know that this happens we know that this this is the heart of god because we i don't know i don't know how uh, familiar you are with geography but we are a long way from jerusalem We gather this morning here in South Carolina, a long way from Jerusalem, and we see this very thing happening. And so in fact, the more people try to stop it, try to slow it down, try to halt the spread of the gospel, we see in the book of Acts, and we even know in today's known world that it just explodes and takes off and goes even more, that it continues to grow and flourish. And so uh, the story of the church is just going to go on. And we're going to see here this morning as the spread of the Gentile church throughout the whole Roman world is about to take place, is about to happen. So I'm going to ask you this morning if you'd join me as we pray and then we'll jump into our text. God, love you. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to gather as your people. God, God, thank you so much that we can rally around the reality of who you are. God, God, what you said over 2,000 years ago, God, we see it playing out today. And we know it's true because we sit here in this place, worshiping a risen Savior. God, do a work in us this morning. May your Holy Spirit have freedom to move in this place. God, move through me, use me. God, direct my words, direct my thoughts. God, may everything that I say and do in this place be for your glory, for your honor. God, we just pray that you save the lost here this morning. God, we pray that you set the captive free. God, those that may be struggling with sin, God, that you just release those chains and move in a mighty way. Jesus, we thank you for your hope and your promise of your word. God, may you receive honor and glory. Move, God, we pray in your name. Amen. So Acts chapter 13 is where we're going to be. Acts chapter 13. Um, We'll really just get through the first three verses, and we'll we'll kind of talk just briefly at the end about the the remainder of the chapter. But um, Acts 13 says this. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called uh, Niger, you have Lucius of Cyrene, Mannion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and so you see this relational beauty here in the church at Antioch that is just, it's just an amazing thing. And so what I wanna do is I wanna talk for a few minutes about that, I wanna look at that. Because first of all, the fact that you have Saul, who we know to be Paul, and Barnabas, who were friends, is just, is just a mind-blowing thing. Uh, to know what they have done, to know that they are gonna to work together for the cause of Christ is just a testimony of the mercy and grace of Jesus. It's just a testimony of what the cross can actually do in someone's life. So let's look for a second. Let's just walk down this list for a moment and look at these people because I never want us to get disconnected from the reality that these are real men in a real time. So often we can look at it and we can talk about it like they're characters in a story and they are real people in a real story and so that's what we're experiencing here this was a real time so be careful not to romanticize the scriptures or to disconnect from the reality that these are real people just like you and I in a real time going through real circumstances and situations real backgrounds real stuff that they bring to the table so Barnabas um, over in Acts four thirty six, it'll be on the screen for you. So this is what we know about our brother Barnabas here. It says, "Thus Joseph, who was also called uh, by the apostles Barnabas." So let, let's just push pause for a moment, because what we know is his mama named him Joseph, but the apostles saw fit to change his name to Barnabas. All I know is if if your mama names you something, and then you're running with these guys that are a part of the church, and uh, and they decide to change your name from what mama had, had it to what what they deem fit. I mean, that means that you're in with this group. That that means that there's something about you that they've seen, that they've experienced. Because I don't know how familiar you are with scriptures, but everybody's just not getting a name change all of a sudden. That that just doesn't happen. And so what we see here in this moment, that the apostles um, here uh, change his name. And then look at what the scripture says that it means. This name change from Joseph to Barnabas means this, son of encouragement. I mean, what does that speak about your character? What does that speak about who you are? mama named me joseph but they seem fit to name me barnabas which means encouragement so what that lets us know is that barnabas was a man of encouragement and encourage what what a great quality to have right because what's the opposite of encouragement discouragement Uh, you you don't want to be known for that i mean that's not a good quality to have especially within the family of god so so he or a period by the way And so they rename him encouragement. It says that he's a Levite, a native of Cyprus. And then look at what happens in verse 37. It says that he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So so is it safe to say here that that Barnabas is probably a pretty stout believer? Is it pretty safe to say that that if, if the apostles' Change your name from what mama called you to what, what they deem fit. Uh, encourage her that, that, that you're probably, there's something about you that they've noticed that maybe the hand of God is upon you. And so when the apostles rename you, it speaks a lot about your nature, about your character. And so let's look at that for just a moment because you've got Barnabas and it says that he's an encourager, which is a great quality he had. But the second thing is this, is it says that he's a generous man. Verse 37 says that he sells this field that belongs to him and then he just takes what he's gathered from the cell of this field and he just lays it at the apostles' feet. He didn't try to manage it. He didn't try to divvy it out. He just takes it to him and he says, whatever you deem necessary to do with this money to build up the kingdom. And so what we know about the book of Acts is that whenever need would arise, People would sell their possessions. People would sell whatever they had to help, uh, help the body of Christ be all that they needed to be to help meet needs. And so that's what we see here. He didn't try to manage it. He just give it, let them divvy it out. He gets under godly authority and allows the apostles to distribute wherever that need may be, gives it to them. So this is Barnabas. What we know about Barnabas is that he's part of the inner circle here of the church. We see that. He's part of the leadership He's an example of what godliness looks like. He's an encourager, a man of encouragement. And then the second person that we see in this story that we're gonna talk about for a moment is Saul. And we know Saul, Saul gets a name change as well. He goes from Saul to to Paul. And so Acts 8, one, it'll be on the screen, but I'll just read it to you, you don't have to flip there. It's it's something that we covered a, a few weeks ago. And it says, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. It says, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devote men buried Stephen and made great lament over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So what we have here is we've got Barnabas on one side of the spectrum and we've got uh, Saul on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. But but you've got these two men flourishing together, these two men doing relationship together, these two men walking together. You've got Barnabas who's selling all that he has and with his mouth and his life trying to build up the church all the while on the other side of the spectrum. You've got Saul doing everything he can to destroy it, to tear it down, even to the point of where he approves of the the execution, the murder of a believer. Even to the point of where he says, man, I'm going to go after the church. I'm going to snuff this thing out and and quiet it. We need to get rid of it. We need to eradicate it and get rid of it. And so you see him trying to destroy the church. And so can I just, I just want to stand here for a moment. I just want to maybe read in some conjecture here for a second. Uh, because let's, let's think about this for a second. Let's think about it. Uh, the church at this time is not huge. It's, it's, not, it's not enormous. And so you've got Barnabas, who's this man of encouragement, this man that's a part of the leadership of the church at Jerusalem. And you've got Saul who's coming after the church. And, and so think about it for a moment. There's probably people, there's probably believers that, Barnabas knew that Barnabas was aware of that Saul had probably grabbed and thrown into prison, that, that, that Saul had probably taken and hauled off and got rid of, who, whose doors were kicked in and they were, they were taken out of their homes, put into prison because of their faith. It, it would probably be safe to say that there's, there's men and women that, that he was aware of, that he knew, I said the church is small. Isn't this picture crazy? You've got men on completely opposite ends who would never be able to be in a room together. And what does God do by way of his gospel? He saves, he rescues, he redeems to the point of where these two men can, can coincide together, even be partners in the spread of the gospel. So, so let, let's just, let's talk for a moment. Because even if Saul never did anything to Barnabas directly, can we be honest enough just this morning to say in this room that, that he probably did something indirectly to some people that he knew? which is probably a picture of what's happened to us in the past or, or something that's, that's taken place to us in our lifetime. Yeah, we're connected to somebody, we know somebody, but because that somebody knows somebody else and somebody else did something bad to them because we know the one person that something bad was done to them. Now it's skewed our view on everything. There's probably people of us in this room that we dislike, some people who have never done anything to us, but because they did something to somebody that we know, now we're against them. Maybe we don't trust them maybe we don't like them. We could probably jump on their lack of integrity or them being liars or them uh, not being able to be trusted. But my question is this, did they lie to you? Did, Did they do that directly to you? No, but they lied to a friend of mine. They did this to somebody that I love and that I care for. But look at what happens here in this story. Look at what the gospel does. The gospel has so moved upon Barnabas and Saul that these two partner with one another for the building up of the church in some of the most difficult scenarios that you'll ever see and witness with the spread of the gospel. They are in it and committed to first and foremost Jesus and as a result of being committed to Jesus, committed to one another to the point of where they're willing to die together for the gospel. They're willing to give their life up for the gospel. So hear me, when the gospel's submitted to, when the gospel's given into. We can live out lives of reconciliation with people that maybe we normally wouldn't live life with, do life with. And that's what we see here at the church of Antioch. That exact same thing happening. The gospel has set these two men free from their past, from, from their history of whatever, and it has unified and has brought them together. Then the next person in the story is this, Manian, And Mannion is described like this. He's a, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So I just believe we need to do a little bit of work here because whenever you see Herod, I I think we know who Herod is, but I want us to make sure we know who Herod is because what we know about Herod is that lineage. is not a line of great men. Uh, Their their character and their nature uh, precedes him, but it's not one of of good character. And so we're probably aware of him, but just maybe not sure. And so you've got Herod the Great. This is not Herod the Tetrarch. This is Herod the Great. And so let me inform you about him. Uh, Anybody familiar with the Christmas story? That's Herod the Great. The Christmas story and so what we know is this is after the wise men come to him and they go to to worship baby Jesus or worship Jesus he probably wasn't a baby at that time worship Jesus and uh, he says hey come back to me and let me know so I can go and worship this Jesus as well all the while in his heart he knew that he wasn't going to worship Jesus he was going to get rid of Jesus and so so God reveals to the wise men not to go back to Herod and so they go off a different direction and so what we know about Herod the Great is this, this lineage of Herods is, is this, is that he had all baby boys two years and under of age in Bethlehem killed because he was afraid that his throne would be compromised. That's Herod the Great. And then on top of that, you've got Herod the Great. He had this brother-in-law and his mother-in-law. He had both of them executed. He had both of them done away with. And then he had his second wife executed. So if you think your family's dysfunctional, I mean, this, this is pretty some messed up stuff here. So Herod the Tetrarch, he's not Herod the Great. That's not who he is. So you've got Herod Antipas, Herod Tetrarch, but he's also a train wreck. That's the lineage that he comes from. He he comes from those group of men. So so who is Herod the Tetrarch? This is what we know about him. He he married his stepbrother's ex-wife. You're talking about some weird stuff at a family reunion. He marries his stepbrother's ex-wife. And we know that upon marrying his stepbrother's ex-wife that she has this daughter and this, this daughter has a little bit of a, a sultry side to her if we can just be nice about uh, giving her a description this morning. And then one night the family's together and they're just doing a little bit of drinking and kind of as they do that they get loose and uh, in comes his wife's daughter, his stepdaughter and she does this little dance for him. And so he's filled with lust at the dancing of his stepdaughter, and if you just want to talk depravity, if you want to talk uh, the fallenness of, of, of the heart, the sinful state of man, this is what he says to her in his lust. He says, anything you want in my kingdom, you can have. Anything, it's yours. You name it. And so she, being the gem that she is, being the sweet little innocent girl that, that she is, she says, okay, this, this, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. Give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter, this is Herod the Tetrarch that we're talking about here that Manian is such good friends with and so what we, what we know is this is that he does that. He has John the Baptist's head cut off and he puts it on a platter and he brings it to this little teenage stripper girl and gives it to her. And then we we'll fast forward a little bit. What we know is this. On the night that Jesus is arrested, right before he's crucified, you have Pilate and he's filled with joy because he finds out that Jesus is actually from Bethlehem. So he sends Jesus to Herod trying to wash his hands of the situation. That's who herod tetriarch is and so here at the church of antioch what you have is manny and a dear friend of that guy but he's in the inner circle of the leadership here at the church he, he's in the inner circle of the leadership of the church here at antioch but you know what this is what the gospel does the gospel overcomes your past the gospel unifies is what it does it brings the people of God together where we work and we do the hard work of, of doing relationship together, working through our stuff, working through our history. Because what I know is simply this, is that everybody in this room's got a past. I don't care how, how good you think you are now, everybody in this room is, has got a past. There, there's skeletons in the closet. There's, there's things that we have done that we're ashamed of and that we pray to God never gets out. All of us. Do you know how I know that? Because Jesus had to die for us. That's how I know that's the truth. Every single one of us and so what this shows us is the gospel works, the gospel unifies, the gospel redeems and brings together, this is what it does, it overcomes the past. And so I think one of the most consistent lies that men and women believe is that they're too messed up or that they've made too many mistakes, that there's no way that God could save them, no way that God could forgive them, no way that God could use them. And so I just wanna lovingly challenge you not to believe that lie. That, that's just a lie from the pit of hell. There is nobody too far gone. And you know how I know that is because you're sitting in this room this morning breathing. That's how I know you're not too far gone to be used by God, to be saved by God, to be uh, put on a path that's going to bring Him glory and honor. That's how I know that. Be- the good news of the gospel is not about how awful you are, but it's about how awesome He is. Hear me, church. We've got to get our eyes off of us and put it on the one that matters, the one that can change and redeem. The gospel is not about how bad you've been, the gospel is about how amazing He is that's the lie I mean that's the truth that we need to believe this morning that's what we need to get our heart around so here in the church at Antioch there's this diversity and then I've just pled with God to just allow us to experience that allow us to be a part of that what I mean by that is simply this is that there's all forms of walk of life here at the church of Antioch even within the leadership of the church in this moment and I just believe it's a beautiful thing the past and the background, the things that have happened in these men's lives that, that, and all the stuff that God's done to, to bring them together, to use them, man, I mean, all kinds of walks of life in this church. And I just believe that should be a picture of the church today. Rich people, poor people, safe people, lost people. I man, I have had the privilege and honor of being able to, to live out life with tons of different people. I mean, I've sat in a small group with some homeless people before at a previous church where, where we got to love one and walk with and see God restore and do a mighty work to where, where they get a house, they get back on their feet where we get to love and walk with. I mean, I've seen God do some amazing, amazing things and I believe that's just a picture of the church, a picture of what the church should be like. All walks of life, all types of people. We want lost people. We want safe people. We want every type of people, every background Because it's just a testament of how good God is and what He can do in someone's life. And that's what we see here in the leadership of the Church of Antioch. So, continuing down the list of the people, you've got Barnabas. And what we know about Barnabas is he's from Cyprus, he's a Hellenistic Jew. Then you've got Simeon, and he's of an unknown origin. We don't know really where he's from, but they just called him Niger, which is Latin for black. So every commentary, every church historian says what we know about Simeon is that his skin color is, is, is black. And then you have Lucius, who's from Cyrene, and he's, he's, from, um, he's an African. And then you've got Ma- Mananin, who I just described to you. Uh, he's a Palestinian Greek. And you've got Saul, who's from Tarsus, and so he grew up in Jerusalem and, and is a Jew, but, but not the same kind of Jew that Barnabas is. He's a, a Hebraic Jew, So in this room, here in this moment, with all of these people, this leadership of the church, who would appear never, ever, ever to be able to get along. Never, ever, ever to be able to to be uh, unified. I mean, they would have been raised to be hostile towards certain people. They would be raised to live privileged and above other people. But that's not what you see here in this moment. That's not what you see here as they gather together because the gospel brings them in and unifies them and so we need to also see that they are a group of men who are serious about seeking the Lord and hearing from God. Look at what verse two says. It says, and, and they, all of these men, all of these men, their backgrounds, all of them, just a beautiful picture of the church, all while they, they is the men, just a picture of God's grace in this moment. They were worshiping the Lord. So they're gathered together. And what are they doing? They're lifting high the name of Jesus. They're seeking God. They're worshiping. Uh, worship just simply means this. It means to gladly reflect back to God the value of his worth. Worship means I'm gonna reflect back to God how much I care for him, how much I love him, how much I value him, what he means to me. That's what worship is. So do you see how it's just more than a song? Like, like we didn't just have worship and now we've got the time and the word. That, that's not what that is. Uh, this whole thing this morning in this place is worship. So do you see how, how the offering plays into worship now? It's me giving back to God what he's given me do you see how singing and while we raise our hands and surrender and while we sing out uh, with the breath in our lungs back to God telling him the songs that we sing how much we value him how much he's worked to us how much we love him do you see how about how reading the word and getting in the word is just another act of worship of, of hearing God's word taking it in and then the prayer and the hope in this room is that we live out glad obedience what he calls us to do we hear it and then we do what he says all of that's worship all the while driving in this morning to this place that can be an act of worship as you're coming in you could be praying you could be just uh, looking at God's glorious creation and just worship him in that moment something inside of you just well up and you release it back to him letting him know how much you value him letting him know how much you love him letting him know how much he means to you all of those kinds of things could take place could happen uh, just in a drive to hear that's worship and then when we leave this place and we go to our homes and we can worship there as well it doesn't just happen here on a Sunday morning with a guitar and a band but worship is a way of life it's me letting God know how much I love him how much I value him what he means to me right that's what worship is I mean think about it for a moment those people in your life that you love do they know that you love them how you tell them and you do things for them you show them church that's what worship is and what we see in the scripture this morning is that's exactly what they are doing all of these men all of these backgrounds beautiful picture of what the church is like are gathered there together worshiping the Lord and says in that they're fasting so what do we know about fasting so they're serious they just haven't got together I'm like all right so get your guitar out let's do this thing man you know it's something much much deeper than that they've stepped this thing up a notch so they're worshiping the Lord and then they and they're fasting they're in the in the middle of of fasting and so what is fasting fasting is simply saying I want Jesus more than anything else I am serious and I am committed and I want him to move. I want to worship him like never before. I want to hear from my God. And so what they do is they remove something that's vital to their life and they say, I'm going to give this up for a period of time and just seek God and just focus on God in this moment. That's what fasting is. I'm going to cut something of of necessity in my life out and I'm going to replace it with you, God. And that's what they're doing, more than likely food in this moment. More than likely, they, they, they are disciplining themselves with, with, with no food. Uh, they're saying, so in the middle of, of this hunger pain, what they do is instead of running to the fridge and opening it up and grabbing them a sandwich or grabbing them something, what they do in this moment when this pain arises in their stomach, in their belly, and they feel the, the weight of that in that moment, what they do is they seek God. But I'm hungry for physical, life-sustaining food and I'm reminded of that pain, that grumble in my stomach, but instead of running and fulfilling that, I'm gonna run to the one that will fulfill me like none other. That's what they're doing, church. Gathered together, worshiping the Lord, fasting, and then look at what happens next. It says that the Holy Spirit said, so, so in that, in them being serious, in them uh, focusing on God, in them worshiping the Lord, in them fasting and being serious about, about seeking him in all things, look at what happens. The Holy Spirit shows up and says something. God speaks to them. And this is what he says. He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Serious about God. God gets serious about them. Put their focus where it needs to be. They hear from God. Serious? He responds. He honors their worshiping Him. He honors this discipline in their life of fasting. And so He speaks, and this is what He says. Kind of a disturbing little little thing that he says here. We'll get to that in a minute. But, but he says, man, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them to. God, we just want to know what to do. God, we, just, we need your help. We want to hear from you. God, show us. God, we just want to seek you. We want to be in the middle of your will. We want you to do a work in, in the midst of us. And then this is what God says. Set apart these men for the work that I've called them to. And so I just want to press in for a minute this reality of how do we hear when the Lord speaks? How do we know when God speaks? Because hear me, I believe that the Lord speaks to us in, in many different ways. He can speak to us in a vision. He can speak to us in a dream. He can speak to us through other people. There are tons and tons of ways that God speaks to us. But hear me, church, I am very, very serious about this because the way that God speaks to us will never, ever, ever contradict or go against his revealed word. The way God speaks to us and the things that God says to us will never, ever, ever go against what God has already written and God has already said. He will not contradict himself. Do you know who contradicts him? Us, our heart. We're going to look this Wednesday night as we uh, have a time of prayer and gathering and and in the word. And what we're going to see is that the scripture says that the heart is deceitful and wicked and no man can know it. We deceive ourselves. Our feelings deceive us. But God and his word will never So, if you hear God speaking or if God has pressed upon your heart, it will always, always coincide with His written word. It will always, always, always line up perfectly with His revealed word. So, if you ever feel like God's pressed something on your heart, then what you do is you run to His word to see if it's true. Does it line up with what He has said, what He's revealed His character and nature to be? See, when He presses something on your heart, it'll never go against His word. And so that's, that's kind of difficult sometimes because I don't know about you, but, but for me, uh, sometimes I like to tag God's uh, voice onto mine. It's, we sound real similar sometimes. You, you know what I'm saying? Yes, God, that's a great idea. That's what I was thinking the whole time. And he's like, Scott, no, no. Are you sure? Let's pray about this a little bit longer. Uh, we don't need to pray about this a little bit longer, son. I know what I'm doing. I'm like, okay. And so those voices sound similar, sound a lot. So, so, so how do we know? So, so I just want to give you, because there's some areas that are sometimes difficult to decipher, to figure out. So, so just, just an illustration real quick. So me, um, out, of, out of high school, going into college, I mean, I am on the prowl. Like, I, I want a girl, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's, that's the next step of life. You graduate high school, you get into college, do that for a little bit, and then you, you looking to settle down, right? Just the natural progression of life. And so as I'm doing that, I get this opportunity to help at a, at a, at a retreat, and as I'm at a retreat, um, there's this cute little girl that walks in. I, I remember like it's yesterday, Tommy Hilfiger sweater, these like, like these jeans and not too tight, but holy. You know what I'm saying? Like she was, she was a virtuous woman. And so she walks in. And she's got like these bowling shoes. Like these are the coolest looking little bowling shoes. They weren't like real ball- she didn't jack them. So, so that's not like she didn't steal them from the bowling alley the night before. Like, like they were made that way. So they, they look like that. I mean, I mean she, is, like, like she is just fine. You know what I'm saying? And so she walks in. I'm, in, I'm in college, I can talk like this. So she walks in and I'm like, girl, fine, this is awesome. And it's at a retreat. I'm like, check, this, this, this is it, this is good. Already one for one. And I like the way she looks, so that's a nice thing. So we're two for two. Like, God, maybe we can do this thing. And then she happens to be in my small group, even better, right? Now I get to know her, get to see her heart even more. And so as, as we're doing this and we're kind of uh, uh, walking along a little bit, I'm like, huh, there's some things about this girl that, that I like. There's some things about this girl that I can check off the box of, of a woman that I'm looking for. And so as we continue to do life, as we continue to grow, and again, how goofy it was, me as a, as a freshman in college, first semester, like I wasn't even deep in college. Like I was first semester college and I'm, I'm walking and kind of getting to know her. I had no clue if this would be the one. Like God didn't just smack me upside the head and it was just like, ah, oh. like, 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 like I was like, ah, oh, but probably not for the right reasons. In that moment, I was like, I was kind of looking, but I was like, hey, she was cute. So all that kind of stuff. And so in that, I had no idea that she would be the one that I would spend the rest of my life with. And, and you know what? The crazy thing is this. I have searched this thing and I have looked through this thing more than, more than you would even believe. And do you know whose name is not in here? Meredith Easley at the time? Yeah, nowhere, nowhere. How in the world did I know if she would be the one? Because I, mean, I, even looked, like, I even looked in the back. Like I was searching the maps too just to make sure I didn't miss something, you know? And so the whole time I'm praying, the whole time I'm seeking, the whole time I'm, okay, God, what... And so as we continue on, okay, maybe this is God's will for my life. And, and so do you know how I figured out that, that it was God's will f- for my life for me to marry at the time my girlfriend who became my fiance, who eventually became Meredith Easley Miller? Do you know how I knew that? It's because her, first she was a believer. She, she was a Christian. She was somebody that loved Jesus with a reckless abandon. She was somebody that was growing and maturing in her faith. And so the way that I knew is I just continued to pray and God continued to leave that door open and I continued to walk through it and the things, the descriptions that I would see in the scripture that would, that would let me know, that would inform me of what a godly woman looked like, she had those characteristics. She, she had that, the conversations, me getting to know her, me getting to walk out life with her. I got to see all of those different things that the Bible would say is a good thing, something that you should look for in a person. And so in that, God just continues to open that door, and I got godly counsel from people. I said, hey, just help me out. Just make, make sure. Check me. I had friends, and we p- prayed about it. So all of those things led me to a place where I stood before an altar, and I said, man, I want you for the rest of my life. I believe God's will for your life and for my life is for us to be together and to do this thing, to journey together for the, for the, for the furtherance of the gospel. And everything lined up to what God's word would show me, though her name was never in there. And there's other all kinds of instances like that, man, where we seek and, but, but hear me, God's word and his will is never gonna contradict what his word says. I don't, I don't care how much you wanna be with someone or how much you wanted to m- marry someone in this moment of your, uh, look at me, as you're seeking, as you're looking, as you're walking with, I don't care how bad, your heart will deceive you. So you always run to god's word and you match it up with god's word you hear me always in everything every decision everything we do that so that's how we walk out that's how we hear god's word it'll never contradict his character his nature or his will and so you have barnabas and saul and they've spent the last two years together here at the church at antioch they're pouring into these men they're training these men they're evangelizing they're building up the church seeking God and this is what God says and this is what I said was disturbing that we're going to talk about because I want to close with this I want to wind down here this morning with this reality look at what it says and after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and sent them off so you've got the leadership of the church at Antioch seeking God They're worshiping him and they, I mean, they've uh, raised it up a notch and they're fasting. They've given up something that sustains and brings life to find the one that brings life and to hear from him and to just know what he wants them to do. And he says, I want you to separate these two men and send them out. And so then after fasting and praying, they lay their hands on him and they send them out. And so what we know is God had used these two men in a huge way at the church here at Antioch so at this prayer meeting, seeking God, seeking God, seeking the Lord's will, the Holy Spirit shows up and he says, those two guys, that's who, who, I, who I've been using in your lives. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send them out. I, I'm going to have you send them elsewhere. And so again, it's more conjecture here for a moment because I can only imagine. I don't know how, how you do relationship with people, but if you've invested in, if you've walked with, if you've done life with someone for two years, and they do it a little bit better. Whenever they say that they're friends, they're really friends. It's not just a Facebook face there that they get to see like their time feed. Like, like, they're, like, like they're doing life together, man. You know what I'm saying? Like they're walking it out. They're living it out together. They're fighting the good fight of the gospel. Like life could be required saying the name of Jesus and worshiping him. So I mean like, like this is real relationship type stuff. And so for two years, they've been investing. They've been pouring into. So I can only imagine. I can only imagine the pain that would come with that. I can only imagine the hurt and the no, I don't wanna let them go, please keep them here. No. I mean, think about it for a second. Out of that list of people that I just read you, Barnabas and Saul, who we know is to be Paul. Okay, those are two heavy hitters. When the apostles rename you to encouragement, and then when you're what we know about the apostle Paul, I mean, like these are two heavy hitters of the church, man. You know what I'm saying? You know, like ah, uh, we could maybe uh, afford to, to lose this one and this one not not Paul and Barnabas like, are you those two like like what we know I maybe mean, I mean Barnabas is just like that golden retriever every time you walk in like tail just wagging he's just excited to see you he just lifts you up you never leave not feeling encouraged I mean, why do you want to lose that guy okay we can lose him but we keep the apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit's like no both they go what we know about the Apostle Paul is he is just a radical man on fire for the gospel. God uses the Apostle Paul in such a way that that he just walks in, and if you're sick or you're dying, if you just touch his hanky, you're healed. I mean, can we can we maybe we'll, we'll let's redraft this thing, Holy Spirit? We'll give you three if we can just keep Paul. Okay, you can have the whole leadership of the church and let us keep Paul. I mean, I can just imagine uh, in their mind and in their heart what that would be like, their gifts. But the Holy Spirit says, no, you were seeking God. And God's spoken, and this is who he wants. Barnabas and Paul to be sent out. So what we need to guard against is this tendency to love vessels rather than loving the one who flows through them. Let me explain it like this. And I'm, I'm sure that this is the case in the room this morning. If, if God has done a work in you and has used someone monumental in your life to accomplish something for the gospel or accomplish something in growth spiritually, then what's happened in your life is not due to the person, but rather to the Holy Spirit inside of that person. It's God using that vessel to move and to do something, whether it's walking with you, whether it's encouraging you, whether it's spending time with you, whether it's showing you something from God's word, whether it's being connected in relationship with you. It's the Holy Spirit in them that has used them in your life. So the praise of what God has done in your heart should go to God, not the person. We tracking? They're just a vessel that God uses. The praise and honor first goes to god almighty he uses people to do that so according to the bible the person is to be honored as a servant of the lord but we've got to guard and be careful not to exalt past that and i don't care who you are billy graham was just a man used by god nothing special of him at all other than the fact that God poured his spirit out on him in a way to use him to communicate his gospel truth, to live out what obedience to Jesus looks like. man, he's just a vessel. The one that gets honor and glory is God. That's the one who receives all honor and praise. Not a man, but the the king of kings and Lord of lords. So I just want to talk for a moment this morning and just kind of get real for a second. Because I believe what I've just kind of shared with you I believe maybe New Life, we're feeling some of that. I feel like maybe this morning here at the church, man, we feel the sting and the hurt over the last month as God leads us and as God transitions us. So let, let me explain a little bit. So it was close to about a month ago, and a month ago I had a conversation with, with Bill Harris, our founding pastor, in which he told me he'd be entering into full retirement. So in me, in my heart, I, I figured one day that this would come, that this conversation would be had. I didn't realize it would be so soon. So it kind of caught me off guard and we talked a little more. And so he shared with me that he just felt like it was time for him to be able to enter into full retirement, that there were some things that he wanted to do. Summer's coming up, family time, stuff that he would want to be able to do and kind of have some freedom to do some things. All the while, and, and, and you guys know him just as well as I do, man. He's a ferocious preacher of the gospel, is he not? And so he has a heart to preach the gospel. And so being retired, he has more opportunity to be able to do that. As we know now, this morning, he's down in Union County. I talked to him this week. Man says things are going great down there. He's preaching and proclaiming the gospel. God's doing some pretty cool things in the church that he's in down there. And so he's, he's excited about that. And so he has this desire to proclaim the gospel. And so we talked about some of those things. And so the reality of this whole decision was set into motion back in October, 2018 when he entered into partial retirement, when he, when he said that he was gonna retire. And so the Sunday, before that Sunday in October, first Sunday in October, Bill preached his last sermon as pastor of New Life Baptist Fellowship. Preached his last sermon. And what I know about that day is it was a day of heartbreak. It was a day of celebration as we listened to him proclaim the gospel and take a step back from his responsibilities here at New Life as he entered into a new season of, of service here at New Life. So on that day, we celebrated And we shared with him what he meant to us. We poured into him. We loved on him. We cried. We laughed. We did all of those different things. All the while he was still here serving. So let's fast forward to that Monday where he shares with me what he did that he was going to be entering into. And so we talk. And he shared his heart with his decision. And I'm going to respect that. But you know what the beautiful thing is? Is I looked at him and I said, look. And I even said it. I've said it to him numerous times. Man, if I got a question, you know who I'm going to call you knew, I mean, why would I not, right? He planted this church over 40 years of, of ministry experience. Why would I not seek counsel from him? Why would I not, does it hurt? Yes. Uh, part of us is gone, I mean, I've walked five and a half years with the man. Does it hurt? You better believe it hurts. Does it sting? You better believe it stings. Why? Because we've done relationship. And when you do relationship and you do it right, it's gonna hurt when people leave. But this is what we see the heart of the gospel be, Raise people up, send them out. Raise people up. These are two all-stars in the church of Antioch. Two all-stars. Billy Graham has nothing on these two guys. Paul, I've never known Billy Graham to walk into a hospital and just throw his hanky out and people get healed. I've never heard that story of any man doing that, but that's the apostle Paul's story. That's what happens. And they've been sent out. So let's fast forward, like I said, to that Monday. We talked more and he shared his heart with his decision. He let me know that he would make the announcement at church that Wednesday night. And the conversation said, hey man, let, let's, we need to do, so, I wanna do something for you. Uh, let, let us be able to celebrate again. And he said, no, I'd rather not. And so he makes the announcement Wednesday night and in that conversation he tells the church and I just told him again, I mean, let's please. And he said, no, let, let's, just, let's just let this thing. I said, I, so I respected his decision. He declined, that he would rather not. So Wednesday comes and he makes the announcement at the end of service Wednesday night as he's teaching. And it was followed by many hugs, it was followed by many tears, it was followed by mixed emotion. All of these things flowed through us. And so as I look and as I read this, maybe that's part of what Bill's doing is teaching us. Maybe he's showing us, man, God has used me and worked through me. Maybe he's fighting against that. I don't know. But what I know this is his heart is for God to get all glory. For God to be the one praised and for God to be the one worshipped. And so what I've seen since his announcement is I believe what we're experiencing here at the Church of Antioch, what I can just read conjecture into, because if you do relationship and you do it right, it should hurt. I know a few weeks before he made his announcement that I I made the the statement of this, is that when God calls someone away from the church, it should sting, it should hurt, and there should be a hole. And I believe that's exactly what's happened here with us. I, I believe that with every bit of me. I believe that uh, when anybody leaves the church that's serving and giving their life away, that's committed to the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that should, be the, that should be the feel. And I believe that's exactly what's gonna happen at the church of Antioch. I believe that they feel that hurt. I believe that they feel that pain. I believe that they, that they feel that pressure. I mean, we feel the loss of a man that has loved and cared for and led us so well. We feel that this morning, Church. So this is a hurt and a sting that we'll feel for a while. Just believe that. It'll be one that'll be here for a while. But what we do and what do we do in the midst of this hurt, in the midst of this sting? We praise God for all that he's done through his servant. We give glory and credit to the one that deserves it. And it's God. We reminisce on all that God has accomplished and done here in the last 12 years. And we allow God to get the glory that he deserves from a man who modeled obedience, who modeled faithfulness in what God has called him to do. And I believe that we continue to live that out amongst ourselves. And that's what we're going to see exactly happen here at the church of Antioch. We're going to see them continue to go. We're going to see them continue to, to send, send Paul and Barnabas out to go do what God has called you to do. We were seeking God. We were asking God to speak, and God speaks. Do we fight against that? No, we submit to that. We live that out, and we walk that out. And that's what we see happen here at the church of Antioch. So I want us to be, I want us to be that way. Man, I want God to do a work in us whereby he gets us to the place where we can be like the church here in Antioch, where we can live open-handed with his people. We can raise them up to send them out. We can raise people up to send them out. We can celebrate what God's done all along the way in people's lives. That's what I want us to be. And so what we're gonna see in the remainder of chapter 13 is this, and we'll talk a little bit about it next week more. But we're gonna see Paul and Barnabas go out. And as Paul and Barnabas go out, they are faithful to what God has called them to do. They don't slow down. They don't let up. The church continues to be the church. The church continues to bust at the seams as the gospel is proclaimed, as persecution comes. It just just forces the gospel out even more. It forces life change and the move of God even more. And so that's what we're gonna see happen and take place. That's my heart for us here at this church. And as hard times come, as, as, as persecution comes, as, as people making fun of comes, as all of these things, as you'll never be able to reach that community comes, as, 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 as laws come up, as, as things in our government arises, as all of this stuff takes place against the people of God, my prayer for us is this, is that, that we'll be serious in seeking God that we will worship him, that we will call on his name, that we will pray and fast like wild men and women for the cause of the gospel. And in that, we will hear his voice in such a way that we are obedient to whatever it is he calls us to do, no matter how crazy and ridiculous it may look to the outside world. Because what doesn't make sense to them makes perfect sense to God. And so my prayer, my hope is that we will be that church, that we'll take serious what Paul and Barnabas are doing here and we will live the same way, taking the gospel to all people everywhere regardless. That's the kind of church we need to be. So I don't know what God struck in your heart this morning. I don't know what he's said to you by way of his Holy Spirit, but we wanna be that kind of church that seeks God with everything in us. And when he speaks, we obey. God, help us this morning in this place. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to seek after you. God, what a tough story. What a tough reality. God, the reality is this, maybe in a year this church will look drastically different maybe in six months, maybe in five years. God, we don't know all the plans that you have for this place, but what we do know is some of the things that you've pressed upon our heart. And God, we wanna live those out, walk those out in glad obedience. God, help us have the heart to hear what you say and for us to do it. Jesus, we thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you've done and accomplished over the last 12 years in this place. God, we thank you for your story. God, we thank you for all that you've shown us and taught us this morning in your word. God, help us be obedient. Help us live out all that you've asked us to do. Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what the gospel does in the life of the church, in the life of people, how it brings together and tears down walls. God, I pray this morning if there's walls in this place, if there's relational stuff that's going on, if there's relational stuff that's even going on, God, I pray in a mighty way that you would work and move and help us do the difficult work of doing a relationship your way. Jesus, I thank you. God, I praise you. And we pray. Amen. If you'd stand, Eric's gonna lead us this morning. Man, this altar is open. If you want to come pray, if you want to talk more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, talk about the scriptures, anything that we can do to encourage you, we're here. But you, uh, you be obedient as God leaves this morning.